0: Happy holiday weekend for those of you who are in town and came through the sweat fest to get here <laughs> It's cold in here. I like needed it. I got in here. I was like, I need a jacket uh, so Glad y'all made it to the AC um, <clears throat> Well as James said, my name is Mark Speeder I am the lead pastor here at Antioch Community Church Fullerton um, If I haven't met you, we'd love to meet you Well um, any of you guys, when you were maybe middle school, high school, go through phases? and y'all have some good phases you went through? Come on, y'all, I just want to make sure. Maybe it's just me, or y'all are sleeping, or y'all are a little embarrassed for the phases you went through. <clears throat> I know I went through some phases. I went through some, like, heavy, hardcore, death rock phase, and Dave Matthews, before Dave Matthews' was cool phase... And then, you know, I had a phase uh, while I was in the kind of hardcore rap music phase. And so I had a big subwoofers. Anyone get into subwoofers? Uh, Maybe that was a thing in like the late, you know, 90s, early 2000s. So uh, subwoofers are so cool. I wanted people to hear me coming down the street. You know what I'm saying? I was that guy with the windows down, you know. Uh, I I saw a guy my age. It was just huge subwoofers the other day. I was like, bro, you just never left high school. Uh, <laughs> uh, so but so that was me. I don't want as many people to hear me in high school. I had a big two-pound silver chain, right? All I did was like lift weights back then, right? <clears throat> so that was real cool. And, and it was a phase, right? And uh, I was trying to figure out who I was in Christ, didn't meet Jesus yet, and so uh, eventually found Jesus. He helped me out a little bit. Um, so, but that being said, uh, I was trying to find a significant story to give my life to, right? I thought if I could be someone or something you know, that looked great in the eyes of people, that I would find myself in a story worth living for. And when I met Jesus, when I performed um, right my senior year high school, uh, I realized that the stories I and all of my friends were living for paled in comparison to the greatest story on earth. And I bet you know what that greatest story on earth is. It's a story that God has been writing for all of human history, a story of redemption, a story of how God breaks into the lives of goofy and messed up people like myself and brings healing and redemption and restoration. And it's a story that he invites us to be a part of. You see, we all tend to follow stories or write stories with our lives, right? We follow stories on our phone to kind of say, oh, I want to be kind of more like this person. This is interesting. I want to follow this story. We're trying to write stories with our own lives. Whether that's we're trying to write a success story or a love story with our life or living my best life now story or being a self-fulfilled you know, need to have every place in my life fulfilled story, or I have a beautiful home story, or I have a lot of political opinions story, or uh, I want to be the best mom or the best dad story, or maybe some of us are running the, I'm just trying to make it today story, right? And companies and political parties and news outlets and people pay big money for you to be a part of their story. Let's say, if you are a part of this story, you can look like this, you can feel like this, you can live like this. You ever notice with ads, it'll be like, you know, for a shoe, and then there's like someone super fit, and they're like, all oh, like this, and it's like, if you have this shoe, you'll look like this. That's what they're telling you. If you have this shoe, this will be your story, right? Same with our political arena, same with everything going on, there's, there's stories right that that companies that news outlets are trying to sell you to get you a part of their story can i just tell you there's one story worth giving everything to there's one story worth giving everything to the story of god and discovering the eternal story of redemption he's writing and how that intersects with our lives Listen, I don't care who you are or what mess you have in your life. I believe that God is inviting you today and re-inviting you today into the story of redemption and restoration and salvation and healing that he has in the earth and in each of your lives. And today I want to take a look at some really ordinary and kind of messed up people who found themselves... In the story of God. And this is actually going to be a sermon that I think will set up uh, for the next number of kind of sermon series and direction that we're headed over the coming months. And so, um, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Some of you guys might be familiar with this passage. The calling of the disciples. We're going to start in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4 and go through verse 22 of Matthew and it says this from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand well walking by the sea of Galilee he talking about Jesus saw two brothers Simon who's called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them follow me and I'll make you fishers of men And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I want to start this significant story in Scripture by by looking at that first verse in verse 17 And Jesus, the message Jesus began to preach was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want to start here not only because it's the beginning of the passage we're looking at, but I think it's significant to set up both what we're talking about today, but really it's significant like why do we come to church on a Sunday? Why do we take time to open the Bible? Why do we... Do what we do as Christians. You see, this is a really important concept for us to get. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What in the world does that mean? Now, for context, the the Jewish believers at this time, they were waiting. They'd been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah. You see, there were hundreds of promises all throughout the Old Testament that a Messiah would come and save uh, the, the people and bring, and bring salvation and deliverance for the people. And it's actually incredible. There's hundreds of Old Testament promises that were filled in Christ, to specifics. It's amazing. And at this time, the Jewish people had experienced a good amount of, of oppression in the Roman and from the Roman Empire. And so many Jewish people at this time, they were hoping and waiting for a Messiah that would be a kind of political leader to bring external kind of physical deliverance and actually set up an actual kingdom. They wanted a Messiah who uh, would would come and deal with their enemies, and understandably so. They've been experiencing oppression. They wanted a Messiah to come deal with their enemies, you know, in a sense kind of uh, make life easier for them in the midst of their oppression, in the midst of their pain, right? And they wanted a kingdom, right, that would kind of kind of flick away their enemies but not necessarily mean as much of them. Now I'm sure there's lots of different groups. I'm oversimplifying that. But I think sometimes we want a Savior to be the same, a God who would come and kind of deal with our enemies, who will lower our taxes, who will increase our income and make us more secure and make life easier for us. And it doesn't mean a whole lot of us, right? I think that's kind of some somewhat we want as Americans in a Savior. But the kingdom of Jesus is not like that. This kingdom he was preaching is not a kingdom of, of temporary quick fixes or external changes that will just suddenly make, make us feel better, this kingdom that Jesus is preaching about is, is spiritual. And it is internal. It brings, it's a kingdom of internal transformation that ultimately then changes the world externally. And Jesus came not just to bring change outwardly but actually to teach us an entirely new way of living which we'll talk about in a minute. You see this is good news because if we're honest I look around the world and there's a lot of kind of grasping for kingdoms. There's a lot of grasping for power happening, power grabbing. If I'm honest it's not working. All right look at the news. Things are not getting just better. right? There's a lot happening and, and, and the politicians are not solving the ultimate problems. You see, because that's not because because we, we don't need a political party. We need a savior. We need a kingdom from another world to break in. We need a heavenly kingdom to invade the earth, not only in our world, but in our personal lives. Right? We need a heavenly kingdom to come, and this is the kingdom that Jesus preached. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that literally now heaven is beginning to invade earth. Why? Because Jesus is here. Now, Jesus is no longer here in the flesh. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is here by the Holy Spirit, and he's here in our midst. So we can also say the kingdom of heaven is where? It's right here at hand. And what happens when heaven invades earth? This is good news, guys. This is good news. I know we're a little tired today, but I got good news for you. When heaven invades earth, sin is forgiven. The sick are healed. The oppressed find deliverance. The broken find restoration. Hopeless people find hope. Where there's injustice, Justice can come. The lonely are put in families. And guys, throughout world history, kingdoms and kings have come and gone. But God's people have remained. Have you noticed that? On all different cultures, kingdoms and rulers and powers and authorities have come and gone. But this book and God's people who follow him and this book remain. And throughout history, wherever God's people Lift up Jesus in their hearts and are alive in Jesus and walk together as a church throughout world history. God uses the Jesus people and the church to impact, bring hope and deliverance to a hurting world. You can look throughout the history books. In fact, um, I could name numerous cities that were like in the pit and Christians. A revival came. And cities began to be transformed. Read the history of Geneva, Switzerland. I mean, it, it was completely transformed because people got convicted by God. A revival came. They began to open Scripture and say, we need to, our lives to look like this. We want to look like Jesus, so we want to care for the poor. We want to open our homes. We want to love those around us. Cities have been transformed because of Jesus' people embrace the call to believe that the kingdom of heaven would invade the earth. And guys, this is who we are. I believe the kingdom of heaven wants to invade Orange County, California. I believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand not only in your life, but through your life. We at Antioch, we are a kingdom of heaven people. We're a Jesus people. We're going to be talking Really throughout the entire fall and much of the spring, we're going to be looking at just Jesus' stories and what does it look like when the kingdom of heaven invades earth and who is Jesus and how do we follow him. We're going to be talking about that because we're a Jesus people, and so this is who we are. Now, you might say, that sounds all nice and fancy, but I just am trying not to hit to my snooze button four times. In the morning, I'm trying to pay my bills. Like, that's great. Like, you say, superhero stories and Jesus, right? Like, I am just trying to make it and not kick my cat when I get mad. Don't kick your cat. That's not good. But I want to take a look at who Jesus called. You see, because so often I think when we read of characters in the Bible, we, we picture like the LeBron James of spirituality, right? Like we put the Apostle Paul and Peter and David posters on our wall spiritually, you know, in our head next to like LeBron James. Or were like, I would never be in the ranks of them because I kind of just stink and they're amazing. They just came out of the womb godly, right? But but I just want to remind us, if you've actually read the stories of these people They're pretty screwed up. And so we're going to look at how God used some pretty screwed up people who might even be more screwed up than you and I to literally change the world, right? Peter is a little hint, one of them right here in this story, okay? Who are these guys? Who are these people? It says in verse 18, these are people casting nets into the sea. These are fishermen. I don't know if you know any fishermen I know a few fishermen who fish, like, for their job. They're gruff people, right? They cuss, typically more than the average person, like, like, cuss words per sentence would probably be a higher, right, mark. They typically, if they're coming off work, they smell, right? They've been in the ocean. They have to, like, face some tough things in life. So this is interesting because remember that Jesus is and was Jewish. He was essentially a rabbi. And what's happening here, just like a rabbi, he's calling followers to follow him. And this is significant. I want to take us into the context of this for a minute because, see, at the time, there was a whole schooling system for Jewish people um, that, that everyone, for example, up until the age of 12, they had to memorize the entire Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. Like, I don't know if you've memorized the book of Deuteronomy recently before you were 12, that was kind of normal. And then the best kind of continued on. Many at that point became kind of an apprentice at this time in their, you know, maybe their, fish, their father's fishing business or whatever. But kind of the best continued on in their spiritual education. And in the best, and they would, they would maybe memorize the entire Old Testament, but the best of the best of the best <clears throat> had the opportunity to possibly follow a rabbi and at the time you would you would be like grilled in an exam on like all the nuances not only the old testament but different opinions of different rabbis it was like only the best of the best like the ivy league prospects got to follow a rabbi and then look at how jesus goes about this He goes and finds some stinky people that probably cuss and are like, if you follow the story, I mean, this dude, Peter, he's been with Jesus for, he's cutting someone's ear off like Mike Tyson style, you know? He's like taking an ear off, right? This is like, this is like Jesus' main disciple, and he can't seem to get it together for a couple years, right? And, guys, that's good news for us. What I'm getting at in all that is, this is good news. When Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let, us, let, him take up his, let them take up the cross and follow me, that word at the beginning says, if anyone would follow me, if anyone. I believe, guys, that Jesus' arms are open and saying that the kingdom of heaven is open to anyone that the Father draws, is open to anyone who would choose to follow me. You see, you and I, we can have a rabbi in Jesus. We can follow Jesus, and we can become his followers, not because we're the Ivy League spiritual people, but because Jesus came and opened the doors to the kingdom of God really wide. And that's good news for all of us. You see, 1 Corinthians 27, Paul said it like this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I would put myself probably in that category, the foolish thing, right? Many of us would say, okay, I'm probably in the foolish thing. It's like God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see, the way of the kingdom is not that God goes and finds the most elite people. It's that God comes to the broken and the hurting and transforms their lives and raises them up as oaks of righteousness, which we'll be looking at next week. Um, Okay, what were they called to do? Verse 19, Jesus said, follow me. He said, follow me and come, be American Christians. Follow me, drop your gnats, leave anything and be American Christians. No, no, he didn't say that, right? <clears throat> but you see, I, I think so often we confuse Christianity, which isn't bad, and the Bible does use the word the term Christian at least a few times, so, uh, but that word means little Christ, but I think in our cultural understanding of what a Christian is, we confuse Christians with disciples or followers. <clears throat> you see, I think so often to, to us in our culture, the word Christian is, I believe a set of things, and I try and not do bad things, and maybe I go to church, right? It's for, for many of us, Christian is kind of like, I'm not Muslim, So I'm not a Buddhist, so I'm this. And that's kind of what we often interpret this. Jesus saying, like, come, be a a Christian. Try and not sin, like, believe a certain set of things, right? And we kind of have this cultural lens through it. But just for some context, the word Christian was used in the New Testament three times, right? It's not a word we should throw out. I'm just saying we have a lot of cultural baggage The word disciple, I think I got a slide for this. The word disciple was used 268 times in the New Testament. So, what is Jesus calling them to? He didn't say, Come be a Christian categorically. He's saying, No, no, come be my disciple. Come be a follower, not a fan, but a follower. Of Jesus, <clears throat> Now, to understand what that word disciple meant, you need to understand, like I alluded to, in that time, at, at the age of 12, most people would go and apprentice for some type of um, labor job. They would apprentice in a blacksmithing business or in a fishing business or whatever. In fact, they were in their family fishing business. What's happening in this text? And so the concept of that time is that everyone, most everyone apprenticed, especially men, and what the crazy thing is Jesus called women disciples, not just the twelve, but there were many disciples he called women as Jesus flipped this thing on his head and called men and women to be his followers and called men and women into the kingdom and to lead. And so so what what they understood is that to be a a disciple is to be an apprentice. What did apprentices do? They, they spent 24-7 with their apprenticer. They, they lived with them. They watched them. They learned from them. They became like them. They did the things they did. That's what apprentices <clears throat> did. And so when Jesus is saying, come follow me, he's saying, come be an apprentice. Come come be with me. First, the first call was to follow him, just to be with him. And if we're with him, I love the is that he's going to transform us. He's going to, he's going to make us fruitful. He's going to transform us into different kind of people. And so Jesus said, if you can put up that triangle side, Jesus said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Jesus did not just come and give a set of teachings That we should believe, although that's part of Christianity, Jesus also taught a way and a pattern of living. Now, I don't know if you've noticed in your life, but we become the summation of the patterns we live, right? You eat a lot of potato chips you become more like a potato chip, right? You <clears throat> eat a lot of vegetables, right? You become more, or, or you, you, uh, you, you hang around a certain group of people most days of the week, you become more like them, for better or for worse. We are the summation, we become the summation of not only what we believe, but also the practices and patterns in our lives that we follow. <clears throat> so, if we're a disciple of Jesus... That means we not only believe what he believes and we're with him, but it means that we learn a new pattern of living. <clears throat> and the reality is, all of us have broken patterns that we've inherited from our family of origin. We have broken patterns we've inherited from culture. We have broken family uh, patterns. We've we've. Gained out of our own stress and compulsive behavior. We all have broken patterns. And so the call that Jesus is saying is, Come, come follow me. Come learn a new pattern, a way of living. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. What Paul is talking about is that in our culture, whether it's the good things about our culture or broken things, There are embedded value systems and ways of living and patterns of relating to one another, patterns of relating to authority, patterns of relating to the broken, both good, bad, ugly. And so Paul is saying we need to be renewed in our pattern of thinking and living to become more like Jesus. And that's essentially the call of Jesus, is not to just Go to church or to whatever, uh, or to be a categorical Christian, the call of Jesus is to be an apprentice or disciple. And you I just want to pause right there to acknowledge the fact that we all live, many of us live very overwhelming lives. We're like, this is great. I don't know when I have time for that. You know, I'm trying to like pay my bills, I'm trying to, you know, and and again. My exhortation to you isn't spend two two hours with God a day now, you know, because that's just not doable for many of us. But I do want to say that we don't have time not to learn to be a disciple of Jesus because you see... God's kingdom wants to invade your stresses. He wants to invade how you handle money. He wants to step into your pains. He wants to step into your broken relationships. He wants to step into your sin struggles. He wants to step into how you handle time. He has a new pattern of living that we actually don't have time not to learn because it's relevant to all of the things stressing us out. It's not like I stressed and I live my life and then I go over here and try the Jesus stuff. No, no, Jesus wants to step into your mess and your stress to bring transformation in it. And so when Jesus says, follow me, it's essentially taking our life before him. Okay, so what are the patterns of Jesus that the disciples would essentially be learning. Okay, if I can go back to my nice little triangles here. Um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, And the first thing, we, we look up to encounter, to love God. Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment out of all the commandments? And he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That first one is to love God with all of who we are. And if we are encountering Jesus as transforming love for us, the natural response of a follower of Jesus is to look up and say, Father, I love you too. Lord, I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. The most important thing in experiencing our own transformation, I love as Dallas Willard said, is to keep God in front of us. To keep the goodness of our Savior in front of us, to keep Jesus in front of us. Jesus said this apart from me, you can do nothing. Not me, Mark. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And so, keeping Jesus in front of us causes the fruit of Jesus to come in our lives. And when we look at Jesus, here's what Jesus had patterns of engaging with people and then disengaging with people so that he could engage with the Father. And so disciples of Jesus, like Jesus, we learn patterns of pressing in with people and then disengaging to pull back to be with God and to connect with him. And of course, he's with us in all things, but that's why we talk about Spending time with God in this church. and We're going to be talking about that more throughout the fall and get you guys some resources to have a life-giving life with Jesus. But that's why we talk about it because the first and foremost practice and way of a disciple of Jesus is to, to look up, to encounter, to love God with all our heart. And so here's a few simple questions um, <clears throat> That, that followers of Jesus can be asking themselves. And if you're a performer, I am not going for perfection because if Jesus was going for perfection, none of us would be following him. But here's a few questions that we can be asking as we kind of are continual. It's a, it's a lifelong formation process, not a performance. Uh, how are you discovering God in the scripture? How are you taking time talking to and listening to him? What is God doing in you? Not just did you spend time with God, but what is God doing in you in this season? And, and also, our looking up needs to go deep enough that it, it includes what's going on inside of us and taking that to him. So we need to be asking questions like, what, what emotions are you feeling right now in this season? And how are you taking them to God and processing them with God and scripture in prayer? Right? Or or how about this? Is there a sin in your life that you need forgiveness for? Right? Is there, is there, um, you know, how are you becoming more like Jesus? These are questions we can be asking, right? Okay, so out of looking up to love God and be loved by Him, it says this: to love our neighbor is the second most important commandment. If I were to break neighbors into two categories, I would say those that are in the church, God's people. And specifically, maybe a close, supportive community of like-hearted believers. And those who are outside our local church, be them believers or not, or just, you know, outside uh, the church. Two different groups of people. So let me start with with looking in. Disciples of Jesus look up to God. They also look into a supportive, encouraging community of people that they can be vulnerable with. You see, what we tend to do as American Christians is there's many great things to the country we live in, you know, but, but we uh, have a tendency to be very independent. And so our interpretation when we read this is we typically put ourselves as the hero of the story, and then we typically see it as me and Jesus, which is great. It, there's a you and Jesus thing. That's what I just talked about, right? But... Um, most of Scriptures, we in Jesus, and we in God. Jesus didn't call individuals just to have one on one hourly meetings with him, individually, and then go off away from Him he called them to be a group of people who walked the journey together and were cutting off ears or whatever together, you know, <clears throat> to screw up along the way together. They were a messy group of people along the way. There was a community thing, and so when Jesus is like, how do I get these, and of course, he knew, but he's like, how am I gonna get these guys from here to like being more like God? What do you do? He puts them into communities of people. He puts them in, in groups of people that are Jesus groups of, of, of people. <clears throat> so um, we all need an imperfect but safe human place that we can come and be ourselves in. We need a space to be vulnerable. We need a space where we can learn to use our gifts very imperfectly. Uh, we need a space where where we might even be hurt by people because there's no perfect space that's perfectly safe apart from the presence of Jesus. So we need a space we can actually learn to be hurt and forgive and be forgiven. Uh, we need spaces we can heal relationally and learn new ways of relating to people that aren't just like the screwed up ways we learned growing up, right? Uh, we need a space we can actually invest and give our lives to others spiritually, right? And so um, for me, this was like the weak link in, in many ways. I was like, when I came to church, I had gotten saved like on my own. I'm a pretty independent-minded person, I heard about life groups. I was like, this is the dumbest idea. I'm going to go to someone's living room with like a candle. And like, this is just, this is stupid. You know, like, what, what is it going to happen here? We're going to sit around and talk about our feelings or whatever, right? A given. I told you where I was coming from growing up. But uh, so, but here's what happened. I found some people who were imperfect just like me. And they started loving me in ways and my walls started to fall down. And I actually found I wouldn't have known all of who Jesus was or experienced healing and transformation because so many wounds in my life were from other people. I got healed in very relationships that I was wounded in, right? God, we get hurt in relationships, and God puts us in relationships to heal us. <clears throat> so here's just a few questions that an apprentice of Jesus or a follower of Jesus can be asking about their inward um, kind of core group of, of relationships, <clears throat> who's in the vulnerable space in my life? Like, does anyone know the real me? And when is the last time I've been vulnerable with someone? How is it going both being encouraged by others and being challenged by others in places I need to be Challenged. Who can you encourage and build up? How are you stewarding your gifts to serve others? And maybe a couple that I didn't include in here. Is there anyone you need to forgive or seek forgiveness from, right? This is, this is how we're formed. Again, this is not a performance. I'm gonna do all this list, you know, the, after the service. No, this is just a, a way of living that is a lifelong way we're learning, right? Okay, and lastly, disciples of Jesus look out to impact the world. This is a blowaway scripture. I think Jesus just put it in there. I'm like, what? It didn't, it didn't. you know? It's like, there's like three years ago. I was like, I didn't really grasp the depths of this. I'm kidding. It didn't just go in there. John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. <clears throat> this is a blowaway. What did Jesus do? Jesus was sent from heaven. And to step into a broken world, loving, stepping into people's pain, stepping into people's brokenness, stepping um, um, into people's lives to extend healing. And essentially to extend God's kingdom. So Jesus was sent from heaven as a missionary to earth to extend the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so you and I are sent as missionaries to our nine-to-five, into our neighborhood, into our friend groups, into our gym, into the places we shop. And some of you are called to go plant churches somewhere else. Uh, God has called us as missionaries to be his hands and feet just as Jesus was sent. So to be an apprentice of Jesus means to learn to walk in his footsteps and, and be his hands and feet wherever he leads, right? And so you might say, well, I'm not a missionary, but I bet God has put you somewhere very intentionally. Maybe a way to think about that, and we'll be talking about this more throughout the year. So this is not the in-depth version. There's more kind of an overview if you didn't pick that up. Uh, where do I? Where do I? Where do I live? Where do I eat? Where do I play? Where do I work? Where do I shop? Those are places that it's like, oh, where's God called me? Who's He? Got, who's He called me to love? Those are some good questions to ask. Where do I work, eat, live, play? Where are you already at? And how God, how might God want to bring his kingdom there? And so just some simple questions. I'm just, I'm just again, trying to get us to think of this kind of way of Jesus. <clears throat> Where has God put you on assignment? How am I doing showing Jesus to them? Is there any specific thing he's called me to do, short or long term, that requires a sacrifice and step of obedience, etc. So um, again, we'll get more into all this later this year. <clears throat> so um, just a couple really practical notes on, on how we're living this out. Because like I said, we, we follow Jesus as a church, not just as a group of individuals, but we follow Jesus in a community. And so at the heartbeat and kind of bread and butter of our church are what we call our life groups. And many of you guys are in a life group. Life groups are communities of, of Jesus people following Jesus together in the pattern of loving God, loving people, and, and impacting the world. In the Acts 2 kind of pattern that we've talked about before if you've been around. So, so this is what life groups are. And so given these kind of three kind of up and out patterns we've talked about, um, we are going to try something for a little season at our church. We're actually going to do life groups in a pattern of following Jesus together. So once a month as a life group, uh, we've talked to all your leaders about this already, once a month as a life group, instead of regular life group, we're going to do an extended worship and prayer night encounter night together. So that's actually this week is our first one, September 8th on Thursday. As a community, we're going to come and worship and pray together and be formed more deeply into Jesus' image in the place of encountering God. And so 630 to 8 at a church called Searchlight Ministries, friends of the pastor, um, great people over there. We are going to have a kids kind of prayer experience available so that they are growing as followers of Jesus as well and they're learning how to pray and so we're going to do this once a month and so here's our first one uh, we would love to have you not only come but come as a life group and come ready to encounter God and our goal of these times is not only to meet with God but also to to grow as Jesus followers to be more like him uh, secondly uh, and, and I just a quick plug on this as parents, uh, I, I feel like I spend some of my time trying to just get away from my kids because I'm tired, you know? I'm like, yeah, I just need, I'm going to lock myself in a room for a little bit. But I just want to invite us families out there uh, to, there are times to get away from your kids as needed, but to lead with the thought of how am I forming my kids as Jesus' apprentices. This is why we go to these things as families, not because it's convenient or easy and like for those of you guys who don't have kids, please bear with us. You know, and I, it's like we're trying to shape Jesus, adults and kids, in this church, and so it's going to be messy. Y'all do that. Can we bear that together? So, for us parents, how can I? Let's lead with the thought of how can I shape my kids as Jesus followers. Secondly, once a, we're two to three times a month, we're going to do just relationships. <clears throat> but then once a month, as life groups, we're going to be do, doing something outward-focused, on mission together. And what we want to do is empower you guys in a life group, and if you're not in a life group, we'd love to have you join one. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Outward-looking once a month. And we want to empower your group to discern what that is. Maybe it's serving needs in the neighborhood that your group meets in. Maybe it's just, hey, we're going to break up in groups of two uh, or two families or two individuals and open our table in our homes and invite our neighbors over. Maybe we're going to throw a block party. Maybe we're going to serve at a, a local organization to the underprivileged. I don't know what it is, but once a month we want to look out because actually looking outward is really significant for the inward and upward growth. We can't grow as a Jesus follower and say, one day I'll be missional and like one day I'll think about other people other than myself because I stink right now. Jesus actually put that in there to like help us grow. So... Uh, Once a month, we're going to be doing that as a life group. And we're actually going to do that all in the same week. And all your life groups are going to do different things. And we'll send you out on Sunday and commission you to say, hey, this is a week. We're all going to go love our neighbors. It's going to be awesome. And we'll pray over you as a church and send you out, okay? So I'm also, let me just lastly say, I know we have people driving in from different cities. We are believing and praying for more life groups to start. And not only more life groups in Fullerton, we're hoping for more life groups to start. In in Brea, in Whittier, in other places outside, Cerritos, whatever. We We are praying and believing for more life groups. So bear with us if you're driving in. We want to make life group accessible to you. Work with us. And if you have a heart to open a new life group, come talk to us. Okay, um, I'm just gonna allude to the last thing because I'm over time. So uh I just want to acknowledge um there's a cost. There's a there's a cost to saying, hey, I don't want to just be a categorical Christian, but I wanna be a, a, an apprentice, a, a Jesus follower. For them it meant leaving what was comfortable. They left their families. They left the family business. Now you might be asking, does this mean I need to like shut out my family from my life and get a new job and y'all a cult or something like that? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. No Kool-Aid involved. But uh, what it does mean is that to follow the new way of Jesus means being willing to set aside some of our old ways of doing things. Maybe it's not leaving your family. Maybe it's Embracing and throwing out some of your family of origin baggage, and learning new ways to relate to your parents and to your spouse and to your friends, right? It it is a cost to take up our cross and to think of people other than ourselves, right? And so, um, there's a cost. I just I just want to acknowledge this. But like I said, I, I just as a pastor, I. There's no other way I want to lead our church, right? I, I can make great experiences that feel great, and we're going to have some of those, but like, this is, Jesus' call was to make disciples. The mission of our church, we've stated is why we exist, is to raise up, transform resilient followers of Jesus who love God, love people, and impact the world. That's why we exist, and so... That's why we're structuring our life groups around that. That's why we're structuring our ministries around that, is that we don't just want to make converts. We want to raise up healthy, transformed followers of Jesus. And that means not only I take up a cross, but we all take up crosses together to learn how to do it. Y'all tracking with that? All right, it's a holiday weekend, and it's hot. It's cold in here. I'm actually keeping it here long because it's the I'm just kidding. I'll get you out of here. So here's a couple questions. Um, just as we respond, my overarching question is, how is our apprenticeship to Jesus going? Like you, you and Jesus, how is, how is my apprenticeship to Jesus going? Again, this is not a performance. This is not, I got to clean up my life in a year and get this figured out. This is a lifelong formational journey. But how is, how is your apprenticeship? And here's some specific questions. Are you prioritizing what Jesus is doing in your life or is on the back burner? Is there an area that he's called you to focus on this season, maybe it's up, in, out, whatever. Is there something that God is like we talked about seasons a few weeks ago? What is the thing he's he's doing right now? And how can you partner with him on that? And then who are you walking this out with in this season? Who's who's your crew? Who knows the inner workings of your life and who is both encouraging and challenging and who are you encouraging and challenging and investing in as well? That's, that's the heartbeat. Of this. We want to be a Jesus community people. That's why we ask that question. And so if the band can come up, I just want to give us a, a second to just be in this space in prayer. Um, sometimes we... Create quiet moments as a church, including in our set. We had one or two of those, our worship set, because we want to um, be still before the Lord and examine what He's doing in our hearts, and, and take that to Him, and examine what He's doing in the spirit. So, so Lord, I just as we as we just think about these questions for a minute, we just invite you, Spirit of God, to to come and. Breathe and enlighten what you're doing in our lives. Christian but this kind of call to like give everything and follow him maybe that's new to you and just for some of you there's an invitation today Jesus is saying I just believe with a smile on his face would you you follow me with your life would you give your life to know me more and to I, I got plans for you and I've got things I want to do in you and heal inside of you and, and show myself to you and I got things I want to do through you but, but would you follow me and some of us today it's a, it's a leaving behind the nets of our past or the nets of our cultural Christianity and saying I, I want the real thing I want a savior, I want a rabbi I want, I want someone who's going to lead me and go before me done playing Christian and just going through the motions I want to follow and say yes and I'm also um, just reminded of the story of Peter later Peter's second invitation to follow Jesus some time had passed and Peter had cut off an ear and you know denied Jesus and been afraid and made all kinds of messes he denied Jesus in front of in front of people and he's feeling shame and rejection and he'd failed and what <clears throat> you see at the end of the book of John is Jesus appears after his resurrection to, to Peter again and he, he says hey do you love me and she says I want you to follow me and some of us, we've sinned, we've struggled, we've, we've set out to say, I want to follow you. And we look back and we're like, man, I've not prioritized Jesus. I've screwed up along the way. I'm not where I wanted to be. Maybe some of us are feeling disillusioned from the last few years of everything going on in our world. I know for me, I was the last, a year or two ago, just in a place where I'm like, life would be more easy if I just kind of trusted myself. I just am tired of being hurt. Tired of the frustration of, you know, whatever. And I just was praying. I just had this picture of Jesus. I said, come on, follow me again. Trust me again. It's going to be good. Trust me again. And some of you, you've been around the block with Jesus and church. And there's an invitation to the simplicity again. Just like Peter needed a second time. And just say, come on. Come on childlike again, risk again, trust again. Some of us need need that second invitation or third invitation or tenth invitation to trust again in the simplicity of the way of Jesus. So Father, whatever you're doing, I just invite some of our leaders to be available for prayer. Whatever you're doing in this, Father, we just invite you to come Heal our hearts and give us courage and confidence to follow you. Anything, guys, else you need prayer for? Don't go if you need prayer for something without getting.